Lands of the Shining Peak Lands of the Shining Peak when death itself is dead, I shall be alive The next region I came to in my tour around the lower North Island was Taranaki, also known as the Taranaki or, very colloquially, the Naki. Everyone in the region lives under the beautiful 2518-meter, 8261-feet, volcano that gives the region its name, Mount Taranaki, a name that's thought to mean Shining Peak a reference to the way the mountain looks during the cooler months of the year. Mount Taranaki. White's Aviation Limited, 1969, Photographs. Ref, WA 68672F. Alexander Turnbull Library, Wellington, New Zealand. Slash records slash 22305211 The area around Mount Taranaki is mostly green farmland, apart from a national park which takes in the volcano in an almost circular fashion plus a couple of eroded volcanic peaks to its northwest, Puakai and Kadek. Mount Taranaki and environs, including the port city of New Plymouth due north of the peak. Aster image May 27, 2001. NASA public domain image record 3000-3881-agmont-ast-2018-2018 via the NASA Earth Observatory. North at top. Officially. The Taranaki region of New Zealand extends from Waitotara in the south to Mukau in the north. About two-thirds of the region's population of just over 122,000 lives in the city of New Plymouth and its surrounding district, which have, altogether, a population of 84,400. The Taranaki region in relation to the central North Island. Map data copyright 2020 Google. North at top. The western part of the Taranaki Regio and consists almost entirely of the slopes and lower slopes of Mount Taranaki and the adjacent peaks. These slopes reach sea level at a distance of 25 kilometers from the crater of Mount Taranaki. The present cone of Mount Taranaki is only a bit over 3,000 years old, and last erupted about 250 years ago. It's the latest in a long string of pretty-looking volcanoes that have grown up on more or less the same spot and then blown their top like Mount St. Helens. Scientists predict that today's Mount Taranaki will vanish in a puff of smoke itself one day. In the meantime we can enjoy scenic postcard views of the beautiful mountain from almost every angle, while it's still there. Views like this one, from New Plymouth's Pukkura Park, the Poets Bridge in Pukkura Park with Mount Taranaki peeping over the top. Photo by Takao Nihira Roongamata slash New Plymouth District Council. The spot on which the city of New Plymouth is established is called Ngamatu meaning the islands in Mari. That's because there are several offshore islands, the eroded remains of an extinct volcano themselves. These are called Nga Motu or the Sugar Loaf Islands, and the city's beach is called Ngamata Beach. Ngamata is often used as an alternative name for New Plymouth City, for instance on the council website, though at present it's not official. There are lots of other famous vantage points, such as Lake Mangamaho, where you can get a view of the mountain reflected in the water. I traveled north along the coast from Wanganui to get to the Taranaki, ironically following the route of Wanganui settlers and their local Maori allies who invaded in the late 1860s in the form of the Patea Field Force, named after the village of Patea which they occupied and took over. There were at least three wars in the Taranaki between 1860 and 1870 and some relics of the wars remain, such as the watchtower of the plains at the old stockade outside Manaya. Right Troop, Alexandra Cavalry, Manaya Redoubt by George Sheriff. The scene depicted was in November 1881. Established in 1864, the Alexandra Cavalry, now called Queen Alexandra's Mounted Rifles, is the oldest regiment of the New Zealand Army. Purchased 2001 with Ellen Eames Collection Funds. Te Papatongerwa, 
the National Museum of New Zealand, Wellington, 2001 quarter. There's also a monument to the Patea Field Force in the middle of Manaya. The battlefield that's become a campground in the Naya Monument includes the name of Gustavus von Tempsky, the Prussian-born commander of a unit called the Forest Rangers, who met his end in a nearby clearing called Te Utu Ote Manu, the beak of the bird. This is the nearest equivalent in New Zealand to Little Bighorn, in the sense of a really catastrophic defeat from which anyone dressed in an army uniform was lucky to get away. Von Tempsky's general had a bad feeling about the place, and ordered the major to pull out. But in those pre-cell phone days the message didn't get through in time. Death of Major Van Tempsky at Te Utu Ote Manu, New Zealand, 7th of September, 1868. Watkins, Charles Henry Kennett, 1847-1933. Watkins, Kennett, 1847-1933. W. P. Lith, from a painting by Kennett Watkins, Wanganui, A. D. Willis, 1893. Ref, C. O. Alexander Turnbull Library, Wellington, New Zealand. Slash records slash 23254119 Teutu Ote Manu was very demoralizing for the settlers, as von Tempsky and his rangers had been greatly built up into invincible heroes by the local press. To this day, there are lots of place names and street names in New Zealand that commemorate von Tempsky, especially in Taranaki. It's sometimes quite hard to find historical battlefield sites in New Zealand these days. But here we are close to the Kapuni water treatment plant. You can't miss it. The site of Te Utu Ote Manu today. Imagery copyright 2020 can slash Airbus, Maxar Technologies, Planet.com, Taranaki Regional slash Stratford slash South Taranaki Councils. Map data copyright 2020 Google. North at top. You can even camp in the clearing, sheltered from the winds that howl across the otherwise now denuded plains by the same trees that once sheltered the snipers. That's if the whole idea doesn't strike you as a bit freaky. Then again, there's always a ghost-free motel up the road. Smoothing over the past Taranaki Mari lost a lot of land to the eventually victorious New Zealand government, which settled large numbers of European farmers in the Taranaki region. Taranaki Mari were more seriously affected by land confiscation than any other group. A 1920s inquiry recommended an annual award of £5,000 to the Taranaki tribes most seriously affected by land confiscations in the 19th century. This became the seed money for the Taranaki Mari Trust Board, which still exists. Land Allocation and Confiscation in the Taranaki Region, 1927 Land initially confiscated but since return to Mari as at 1927 is in yellow, balance of confiscated land is in green. Land purchased from Mari is white. Valuation New Zealand. New Zealand. Confiscated Lands Commission, Map with MS Annotations, Ref, Map Collate 32.2 GBBD slash 1927 slash Alexander Turnbull Library, Wellington, New Zealand. Slash records slash 2230129 Efforts at trying to smooth over grievances resulting from the wars go back a long way in New Zealand history, often in symbolic terms. For instance, the first series of New Zealand-issued bank notes, in use between 1934 and 1940, features King Tahau, the commander of the main group of forces fighting against Queen Victoria in the 1860s, on the front face of every note along with a heavy use of Maori motifs. Amazingly, the British monarch didn't appear on New Zealand bank notes at all until 1967. Source, Reserve Bank of New Zealand Still there has always been the complaint that this sort of thing was indeed symbolic and also financially inadequate, 
5,000 pounds a year for a good chunk of Taranaki wasn't really that much. And that, most seriously, there was a large group of Maori who were really poor and landless and drifting into the towns, who weren't really getting anything to speak of out of higher-level rapprochements even if other Maori were. A 1954 government newsreel about New Plymouth describes the conflict of the old days as entirely smoothed over. Five minutes in, you can see a huge statue of a colonial soldier on top of Marsland Hill, a downtown eminence which held the old stockade out of which the town eventually grew. Well things obviously hadn't been smoothed over, because the statue was later destroyed by protesters on February 6, 1991, the 151st anniversary of the signing of the Treaty of Waitangi. Two cannons were also eventually removed from the same site. As I say in an earlier post, there's nothing new about the toppling of controversial statues in New Zealand. Remember Parihaka. Past Tawera, there are two ways to get to New Plymouth. I decided to take State Highway 45, known as the Surf Highway because there are lots of good surfing beaches on Taranaki's wild western extremity. But the real reason I took the highway was because I wanted to visit Parihaka, the site of a famous act of nonviolent resistance in 1881 which is honored on the website of the Gandhi Foundation and may actually have helped to inspire the great Indian peaceful resistor personally. Parihaka is close to the westernmost extremity of Taranaki, an extremity known as Cape Agmont. Until quite recently the mountain itself was also known as Mount Agmont. The Mount Agmont has now reverted to its older Maori name in everyday use, though Agmont is still used in technical circles so as not to confuse foreign scientists who know the mountain by that name. Agmont honors a key sponsor of Captain Cook's Voyages of Discovery, the Earl of Egmont, who was, himself, descended from a famous liberator of the Netherlands honored by Beethoven's Egmont Overture. The overture was performed recently by the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra. West of SH-45, a local road called Cape Road runs down to Cape Egmont, which has a lighthouse you can photograph in the same frame as Mount Taranaki. Cape Egmont Lighthouse with Mount Taranaki in the background. Photographed by Russell Street, August 3, 2013. CC by SA 2.0 via Wikimedia Commons. About 200 meters before Cape Road, on the right, is Mid Parihaka Road. This leads to Parihaka Pa, where in 1881 a group of Maori led by Te Widio Rongo Mai Three and Te Hukakai plowed the land to demonstrate that they did not recognize its earlier confiscation by the New Zealand government. Te Widi and Tehu were joined by Ruwatita Kauru, a one eyed ex warrior who had been one of the most important fighters of the 1860s. It was Titakauru who had annihilated von Tempsky at Teutu Ote Manu, in the course of a devastating counterattack against the British and colonial forces whom most people, up to that time, supposed to have been winning. Titakauru was never defeated in the field. But his campaign fell apart after the defection of some of his allies. Otherwise, Wanganui and perhaps New Plymouth might have fallen, at the very least. The historian James Bellock says that Titakauru was arguably the best general New Zealand has ever produced. Bellick also draws attention to his labors as a prophet and, paradoxically, a peacemaker when he wasn't making war. After Titakauru's tribal coalition fell apart, for reasons which still aren't clear, the colonists put his war behind them, in Bellick's words once again, as a child forgets a nightmare at any rate, the colonists managed to forget the nightmare until Titakauru turned up again at Barihaka. In view of Titakauru's reputation, Native Minister John Bryce had no trouble persuading his government to meet the expense of a huge expedition to the Taranaki, including the Alexandra cavalry depicted above. Some accounts say that the force was 1,600 strong, others that it was more like 2,600. 
Perhaps it gathered strength along the way. Bryce's encampment at Parihaka. Photograph from the Alexander Turnbull Library, via Kennedy Warren, Why Wasn't I Told? New Zealand Geographic, Issue 142, November Deck 2016. But the Maori of Parihaka, also more than 2,000 strong by this stage, emphasized that their course was now one of nonviolent resistance. By the 1880s, many colonists had no desire for a resumption of the wars. After all, they were the ones who stood to have their brand new barns burned down all over again. Was Bryce not merely prudent but actually some K? End of Latter-day Chicken Hawk, after the glory of being the man who beat the man who'd beaten Von Temsky? On the 5th of November 1881, Bryce's force invaded and destroyed the Parihakapa. The inhabitants did not resist. Certainly, when the epic battle for which Bryce had tooled up never happened, credit was extended by some colonists to those who'd refused his invitation. The Littleton Star's take on the story, from from Vincent O'Malley, The Invasion of Parihaka, November 5, 1881, an eyewitness account, November 5, 2012, on The Meeting Place, a New Zealand history blog. The Star's correspondent style Bryce as the Generalissimo. Te Witty, Tehu and Titikaru were imprisoned, released, and legally harassed for the next few years. Here's a sketch I saw in New Plymouth's amazing Pukariki, Hill of the High Chief, museum showing Titikaru and Te Witty in the dock at one of their trials. As the sketch suggests, old-time Ari were quite diverse in appearance, even among those born before intermarriage with Pakeha, Europeans, had become common. Of the three Parihaka leaders, Te Witty was the one who looked most like a colonist himself. Tehu and Titikauru had darker complexions and less European features. Tehu was actually the most senior of the three and yet he is not nearly as well known as Te Witty. Some think that Te Witty's appearance, less likely to meet with prejudice from the average colonist, may have aided his elevation to the status of spokesperson for the movement. The 1927 commission recommended a payment of £300 as compensation for wrongs at Parihaka, a payment eventually granted in the 1940s. Again, a drop in the bucket really and ironically far less than the original military expedition would have cost. In 1981 the Taranaki Museum, now Pukariki, assembled a great collection of images to do with the events of a hundred years before. They're now on YouTube in the form of a half-hour documentary, in the thumbnail. You can see the man in the background wielding a spade as his ceremonial weapon, and three white feathers on his head. All bear three white feathers actually, this was the symbol of the non-violent resistance movement of the 1880s in New Zealand. You can see them on the monument to Te Witi at Parihaka, as well. By contrast, both Tehu and Titikauru were buried, when their time came, at secret locations. The saying that over a seaman's grave there bloom no roses also applies to Tehu and Titikauru as far as memorials go. The 5th of November would be celebrated by the colonists as Guy Fawkes Day, as it is in England. But not as Parihaka Day, as the settlers soon forgot about the whole thing once they felt safe. For a time it seemed as though Titikawaru's promise to his followers would be rendered hollow, I shall not die I shall not die when death itself is dead, I shall be alive amnesia lasted until the first publication of the Palmerston Northbourne historian Dick Scott's book Ask That Mountain In. 